Praise God. Well, we have a holiday weekend among us. And I'm going to start off right now by saying I'm not talking about Memorial Day. We're talking, this is actually another holiday. And perhaps uh, we, we recognize it to an extent, but we really don't recognize it very strongly in the church. And I'm talking about Pentecost. Today is Pentecost, or yesterday was Pentecost, 50 days from the time of Passover. And Pentecost is a very significant, important time in our Christian history and for our Christian faith. Pentecost is very important. In fact, it's very strange that we don't honor it as much as we honor Christmas and Easter. We, we, we mark these days off. We have holidays for Christmas, for Easter, but then it's kind of like a, a kind of a nod to Pentecost. Or in some more formal churches, you have the lectionary, and, and they have Pentecost as part of the lectionary calendar, but it's really just kind of a, a liturgical thing. So I find that very strange because Pentecost is really a very key and important part of the equation. We have Christmas, we have Easter, and Pentecost is a significant portion of that equation. It is the fruit of Christmas and Easter. What happened at Christmas? We celebrate the incarnation. The Father sent his Son to dwell among us and to be one of us and to come so that he could live and die for us. He served us, lived and died for us. And then Easter, the Passover, the, the death of the Lamb, and Easter, the resurrection. And then what happens next? Well, Pentecost is kind of the equals part. We have Christmas plus Easter equals Pentecost. Pentecost is the fruit of those two events. If we don't have Pentecost, those two events are only memorials. We look back and say, oh yeah, this happened in history, but they don't really have any effect. What happens at Pentecost is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is sent down, power from on high, which turns Christmas and Easter into living realities that can affect our lives. More than just memorials of the past, more than just historic events, but actual personal events that affect who we are, what we do, and how we live the Christian life. So the fruit of those two holidays. And so Pentecost is known in the Bible as the Feast of Weeks. It's also known as the Feast of First Fruits. And it's the Feast of Harvest. You can call it by any of those names, but it's the fruit of Christmas and Easter. The fruit, the produce, what those produced. And uh, so we have a harvest in in. When Peter spoke at, uh, in Acts chapter 2 about Pentecost, it was talking about the last, last days. It was an end times harvest. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, it signified the beginning of the end, and that's the time we're living in right now. So we are talking about power, and it's the difference. It makes all the difference in how you live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is so necessary for the Christian life because we are not just following precepts or past events. We are letting those precepts into our lives and become living realities that motivate us, fuel us for the work of the kingdom. At uh, Pentecost, the law was given to Moses. It was during the time of Pentecost, and the law was written on tablets, right? When the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, all those years later, 
is now said that the Holy Spirit writes his law in our hearts. We no longer are bound to an external law, but it's the power from on high, the power of Christ in you, the hope of glory, that writes his laws on your heart. That means something changes on the inside. It was always from the outside in. Pentecost changed it to the inside out. And so Pentecost, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, is something we all need in our lives as Christians. Are you feeling like it's hard to live the Christian life? Do you struggle with, oh, do you have a hard time enjoying the Lord the way you hear others might enjoy the Lord? Do you have a hard time obeying or, or staying clear of the ditches of sin and temptations and struggles and all these things? What's missing? Well, it could be that you need a personal Pentecost. It could, it could mean that you need power from on high to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I got saved. Well, it's true. When you do give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters in. But the Bible shows that it's not just a one-time event and that you need greater measures. You need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need a personal Pentecost. The disciples received Jesus when he breathed or received uh, the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed upon them. But later he said, wait until power comes from on high. Tarry in Jerusalem, and then you will go, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the Holy Spirit is what makes the difference in our life. It's what fuels us to do the work. It's what fuels us to be motivated. It's what fuels us to love the unlovely, to, to give to the poor. It's what fuels us to hate sin and, and love and be empowered by righteousness. But you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of the Christian faith is it's not I but Christ. We are a new creation, but that new creation lies dormant if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit in to make a difference in our lives. And so Pentecost, this holiday season, be looking to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And what it means to be a Christian is not just being a nice, good, moral person. It's, it's being empowered empowered and it's being a spiritual person you know there's so much interest in the spirit in our world people go to tarot cards they go to fortune tellers they want to read their horoscopes they they want to have some kind of touch there's witchcraft out there now why is there so much witchcraft it's not just because of harry potter movies but it's because there's a desire for something or there's a desire they know that this is not all there is but all those other routes are dangerous misleading routes that will take you to hell while the, the Lord offers his spirit, the God of all creation, the God of all universe, the God of all empowerment, and the righteous, holy one of Israel comes into any who will open themselves to receive him and to be changed by him. It's not a works, efforts kind of thing. It's the Holy Spirit comes in. And you say, well, man, I've been putting so much effort and straining. Well, today we're going to talk about how do you get that access to this power from on high. So, we're going to look at the passage in John chapter 16, in which it's not the actual Pentecost passage of Acts chapter 2, but we'll refer to that. But it's the promise of Pentecost, and we want to look at what Jesus is saying about the Holy Ghost. So in verse uh, John 16, verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And then it continues on and says, And when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. All right, so this is Jesus promising the disciples what's going to happen. And he's saying in the beginning in verse 7, Nonetheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Okay, so everybody say advantage. It's to your advantage. It's to my advantage that Jesus would go away. And, and why and how? How can that be an advantage? You know, you ever think about it? If I could just go back in time, if I could just be walking along the lands of Galilee with Jesus, if I could just see Jesus and be in his presence, what a difference that would make. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, it would be, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? But the eyes of faith, the ears of faith, the heart of faith, the understanding of faith will confirm to you that it's actually better that it's not that way. What do you mean? How can that be? Well, for one thing, it's to our advantage. Because when Jesus was here, we often think of, of you know, him in glorious terms, but he was in an inglorious body. He was, the, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, there was nothing in him to draw us to him. There was no comeliness in him, no beauty, no special thing about him. So the disciples had to work through their sight. They had to see through a normal man. And that can be a, a challenge to your faith. You see someone who sweats, who, who gets dirty, just like the rest of us. He has to clean off, who, who has to eat and drink, just like the rest of us. And you say, this is, this is the Lord incarnate? And yes, they did believe. And yes, it would be awesome to be in his presence, but... It's to our advantage that we don't have the sight to interfere, that we can see things in the Spirit, that we can understand that Jesus is, is the Holy One of Israel, the glorious One. And when you're, when you're struggling in the faith and you just see Jesus as some historic figure and he's just someone that's touched your life in the past, you need to get back into the place where you ask the Holy Spirit, I have an advantage. Show me Jesus again in his glory. Show me Jesus in who he really is. Not that my eyes would hinder that by all the things I see, feel, hear, taste, and smell. But that's one advantage. It's one advantage. And we are actually closer to the Lord with him not here because of the Holy Spirit's presence in us than when he was here. Because that's another part of the advantage is that he can't be in but one place at one time. If he's in this body and he's in this flesh, he can only be in one place at one time. So our advantage is that we don't have to wait to get to him. We don't have to wait for him to get to us. We don't have to have him show up. He's everywhere because it's to our advantage the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Omnipresent, big theological word that means he's everywhere. He inhabits, he inhabits all places and he indwells us. 
That's what Pentecost did. It was to our advantage that we could always, wherever we are, it doesn't matter where you are, what terrible situation you're in, he's there. But we have to acknowledge it. I've been in places in China where I've been in the most dingiest of, of villages, and, and it seemed like they were temples in heaven because the presence of the Holy Spirit was filling the place. It would have been awesome to see Jesus walk into this village just like they did in the past, but he didn't have to because his spirit was present, and we were there. We were there with a mindset of serving him. We were looking to him. We were fellowshipping. All these things are, is what fuels that presence. If you're not experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life, we'll talk about that. We need to fuel that, but our advantage is that it's accessible, and he's here, and we don't have to wait. And he's not just available to us at all times and places. Uh, you know, in Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit was peer, uh, poured out on all flesh. He said, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. In the last days, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. That means that you don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be... Uh, who are some of the great saints of the past, those that were just were filled with the Holy Spirit, did incredible things. You don't have to be a super special. You know, that was, that's for those guys. They're real holy, and that's for the pastor. He can spend time praying, and I have things to do. No, our advantage is that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost upon all flesh. That means it, he's available, and he can be present anywhere. And even me, Peter said in that sermon at Pentecost that this is the promise the Father spoke of which is available to you, to your children, and to those who are afar off. Do you feel like you're afar off? Well, in history, we're afar off. Wherever you may be, you may feel you're afar off, but the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he is here. And when you understand that it's no longer just for the supers and for those who were particular, you know, in the Old Testament, it was Moses and it was David. And the Holy Spirit came upon him at different times, here and there, bouncing back, you know, who are the ones, the prophets and things. But now the Spirit is poured upon all flesh. This is our holiday, Pentecost. This is when the Lord poured out the Spirit, and all flesh can receive him. All flesh can be a Moses, a David, and, and do the works that God has called you to do. In John 14, 17, Jesus said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Will be in you. And this is to our advantage, not just with you. He's not just popping around here and then he comes and helps you at this point. But he's in us. He indwells us. This is the powerful advantage of Pentecost. And who is in you? Who is in you but the helper. Jesus said, I will send the helper. The Greek word for helper, many of you probably know, is parakletos. Paraclete, one who comes along your side. But other words used for helper, in some translations, you'll have comforter. So you got helper, you got comforter, you've got a consoler, which is very similar to comforting, I guess. Intercessor, advocate. All these are great terms. This is the Holy Spirit's titles for you who believe the world cannot receive him because they don't know him you know jesus if you know jesus you've already had something of the holy spirit working in you but now you have indwelling in you a helper a comforter 
an intercessor, an advocate. And this can be used to whatever you need for whatever situation. Lord, I need help with this. I need wisdom for this. And you are my advocate. You go before me. You make the way. You are my connection to the Father. You are my connection to Christ who dwells in me, the hope of glory. This is what the Holy Spirit is, but we don't access it often because we don't acknowledge his presence. The church ought to be supernatural. Instead, it's superficial. We ought to be supernatural because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, but we don't acknowledge him. And even, even on a good day, there's times when you just take it upon yourself to just work in your own operation, your own flesh, your own business, and, and that's when things get difficult and we forget that, hey, wait a second, I have an advantage. I have the Holy Spirit, or at least I, I know who to go to to ask for the Holy Spirit. The Lord talks about that, asking for the Holy Spirit in Luke 11. We'll look at that, too. So he is called the helper, the comforter, the consoler, the advocate, and he is referred to by Jesus as power from on high. Power. It's the power of a changed life. You need power. You need help. You need the Holy Spirit. We need to be walking vessels of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is what changed Peter from a cowardly denier of Christ. Remember, he denied Jesus three times after he'd been with Jesus for three years. Man, he, and there he was again. He, there's the presence of Jesus. You'd say, well, I'd love to be in his presence, but it didn't give Peter what he needed when it came time to confess him. He, he denied Jesus. And yet, after the Holy Spirit came, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind and they started speaking in tongues, and tongues of fire appeared upon their head. They were empowered and quickened, and, and Peter stood up, and he boldly proclaimed to Israel that you were the ones that crucified. He boldly spoke, and he boldly continued on as an apostle of Jesus Christ unto his death. Tradition says he said to crucify me upside down. If I'm going to be crucified, do it upside down because I'm not worthy to be like Jesus. This was no weak denying Man, this was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't that he reformed himself and he made himself better. It was that the Holy Spirit entered into him. Same with the disciples. The disciples, they all fled the night that Jesus was arrested. They all, they all were uh, departing in fear, and yet tradition tells us that most of the, the apostles went to their deaths as martyrs, bravely going and confessing Christ all the way up till the end. And you say, well, I have a hard time witnessing to my neighbor. I have a hard time witnessing to people I work with, things like that. Well, what did they do in the book of Acts chapter 4? They, they prayed that the Lord would give them boldness. And if you recall in Acts chapter 4, the boldness, they were praying for boldness that they may speak. And the Holy Spirit shook the, the room, shook the house, and they went out with boldness. And again, they, they were beaten and flogged, and that didn't stop them. They rejoiced about it. And so again, I say, where is the church today? Why are, we in, why are we in such retreat sometimes? Why are we struggling to just make it through the day when there is a power from on high? Well, yeah, there, we know it, but where is it? Well, the first step is acknowledging, acknowledging him. He dwells in me, and he is, he is accessible. I go to the Father. The Father it's the Father's will to give us the Holy Spirit. We have to acknowledge our advantage. We have to acknowledge that he's here. That same power changed my life. 
I, I was just a nothing guy that was, was into partying and all the wrong things. And the Lord came into my life. I had I'd shut the door on people when I was in college. They'd come and say, hey, you want to talk about... I, I came to my roommate, uh, and he was talking to someone about the Lord. And I walked into our dorm room, and he said, uh, oh, I'm talking to this guy. He's telling me about Jesus. And the Christian said, hey, would you like to hear something about Jesus? I said, nope, no thanks. And I walked away. Had no interest whatsoever. And then something started to happen later on. Long story, not going into it today, but the Lord touched my heart came into my life, and the very guy that said, nope, no thanks, don't want it, I started witnessing to everybody, and I couldn't help it. It wasn't like, oh, you, you're a Christian now, you've got to witness to people. It was like, hey, look what happened. Look what I found. I found something. You've got to have this too. It's like some of you grandparents, you want to share pictures of your, your kids with others. It's like you don't have to have someone say, now show your picture to, to your friends. and neighbors. You know, you just say, here, any chance you get, you want to show these pictures. You want to talk about your, your loved ones and things. This is what the Holy Spirit can do. And we have to battle through our flesh and through this hard world to, to be flowing in this kind of thing. But I'm telling you that it's for us. It's for today. It's for us who are afar off, and we've settled for less. And if nothing else happens today, I, you know, I'm praying about this sermon. Man, fill everyone up, Lord, today. Let us go out bouncing off these pews and going out into the world. If that doesn't happen, at least today, I want to set a standard to say, this is what my Christian life can be, and this is what I'm going for in the name of Jesus. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. So this is the, the power that we're talking about. He gives the unction uh, in uh, Romans 8.11. It says, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal flesh and... The spirit who quickens your mortal flesh, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, we've got raising from the dead power quickening our flesh. And some people like to use that verse and say, you can, you can claim healing for that. If the spirit's in he can, he can fix my flesh, he can heal me. And I have no problem with that. And I say go for it. But really what that verse is talking about is when the spirit is in you, he, he will quicken your flesh to speak and to do the works of God, to speak and to do the walk of faith to speak and to do the walk of holiness. You say it's so hard. It's hard to be a Christian. It's impossible to be a Christian, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He's the one that lifts up your flesh and gets you to where you want to do it, where you're speaking it and you're going out. And it gets to the place where you are having divine life instead of your own natural life functioning. In Galatians 2.20, you know, Paul said that I no longer it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live in this flesh I live by the faith of the son of God here we are we should all be saying this and you know I know I'm not saying this to condemn folks we we all struggle with not I but Christ right not I but Christ but how do you get it to where it is not I but Christ it's by living by the faith of the son of God oh son of God give us the faith to live that we might be looking at all things through the lens of the kingdom, through the filters of scripture, that we would be sensitive to your presence in us. We can be sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit, even if we're not experiencing tangible power at the moment. But everywhere we go, we can be a carrier, a vessel, being sensitive, acknowledging that it's not me who is uh, shopping at Walmart right now, it's the Holy Spirit. And when I talk to this lady at the register, 
it's not me, but it's the Holy Spirit that's showing kindness to this person. It's the Holy Spirit that can utter a word of encouragement. It's the Holy Spirit that's giving me the, the life to be here in the first place. So all this I'm saying is that Christianity, I don't like the term Christianity. Eanity makes it sound like a ism, a Buddhism or Hinduism, Christianityism, philosophy, morals, oh, precepts. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm, we have to say the word Christianity sometimes, but I'm saying that it's, it's about more than a, a system, more than philosophy, more than theology. It is about a person, and that person indwells us and gives us the power. And you hear in our day so many people using a trendy term. Maybe you haven't heard. I thought it was trendy. But they call them Christ followers. Um, and I said that once when I was preaching somewhere. And I said, I don't really care for the term Christ followers. And they looked at me like, what? We've never heard that. Have you heard that? Some of you shaking your head. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And we are Christ followers. But why do I have kind of a, 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 a bone with that? <laughs> Because I have bones with lots of things. I'm kind of quirky. Just please have grace for me. No, I don't. I'm saying it's fine to be a Christ follower, but it sort of brings you to this place where that's all you are. You're following someone. You're not a part of. You're not united to it. He doesn't indwell you. I'd rather be a Christ-indwelt Christian. I think that's why they started saying Christ followers because they wanted to temper off of the Christian phrase because Christian gets a bad name now. And so many people have given it a bad name because they're not walking as Christ-indwelt followers okay well, let's say a christ indwelt follower that's that's better right but it's a difference the holy spirit makes the difference between being just a christ follower and being a christ indwelt follower i like the term christian because it means or they say i don't know if it's true but they call it a little christ it means you're a little christ it doesn't mean you are jesus but you are a vessel of him you carry him in and he's flowing in your life. That's, that's a good thing, even though that word Christian has been tarnished and, and abused by many in our world. So, again, how do you have access to this? We all know somebody or people, or maybe it's even been ourselves, who agree and love Jesus, but yet they just can't live for him, and they try, and it just isn't working, and, and uh, they just quit and give up. Well, that was my story, except for the last part, quit and give up. When I first became a believer, I was still doing the bars and the nightclubs. I was coming home drunk, and I just was so condemned and convicted, thinking, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite, Lord. I'm, I'm doing this stuff, and I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I had such a temptation to say, forget it. I just can't do this and walk away. And I did have that thought. I can't do it. But something, praise the Lord, I'm not patting myself, but the Lord kept me. I did not walk away. And I would in tears. Sometimes I'd come home in tears because I'd messed up, blown it again. But I'd still open my Bible and I'd read the word. I'd still pray to him. Sometimes I'd pray in tears saying, thank you, Lord, but I'm so sorry. And, and I don't know what to do and all that. And I'd like to say there was a zap. Boom! The Holy Spirit came upon me and it was all fixed. <laughs> it, it didn't happen. But I know some people it has happened that way. Never box God in. Never say God can't do. For me, I can't even look back and say, but the Lord just worked it out. He, he worked out those ill desires and put in better desires. 
And I believe it was because I kept putting myself in position. Even though it was in tears and feeling like I was worthless and a hypocrite, I kept coming back to him. And my heart was say, change me, Lord, change me. And as I kept coming back and I kept getting into the word, I can't even pinpoint when, but somehow all that stuff worked out and it was gone. And it wasn't my power. It wasn't the power of my efforts. It was the power of the Holy Spirit doing his job. He's the one that changes us. But here's the thing. You have to be consistent. And you have to continually come, even as ashamed as you are, if you're ashamed, you come back and you say, Lord, this is my heart. I don't want this. Fix this. And you keep coming back. You are placing yourself in position for power you are positioning yourself for a consistent walk with the, with the Lord that he is going to work wonders. If you'll just be consistent and continue, he will come through. And that's a beautiful thing, that God has mercy, that he will take us, even when we're not fit or worthy to be taken, because we come to a throne of grace. And that grace is full of mercy. It's also the grace of power that he wants to empower us with that. All right, that's a lot of our advantage, but now the Holy Spirit is an advantage to the world, as we'll see in the next verses here. John 16, 8 through 11 says, When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the very first thing he says, it is... It is good that I, I go away, it's to your advantage. But then he says, when he comes, he will convict the world. That's not bad news for the world. That's good news for the world. It's showing us that the Lord didn't abandon the world. It's not just for Israel anymore, right? The Holy Spirit and the Lord were all about Israel. The chosen people, Pentecost, was the opening of doors for, for all nations. When they heard that everyone speaking languages in their own tongues. These were people from the outskirts of, of Judea and Samaria, and they were coming in. There were also proselytes there, it says, from Rome. These were visitors. These were people from heathen nations that were there as well, and they heard them speaking in their own languages. This was the advantage. God did not throw the world away. He came to reach the world, and he came to, to uh, show them. It says, I will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. Notice it doesn't say, I will convict the Christian of sin and righteousness. I just want to think about that. Not that he doesn't. He will convict us of sin, but it's a good thing. But here he's talking about what I'm going to do for the world. And we were all a part of the world. If you've come to place your faith in Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit convinced you of sin. And that was a good thing. And of righteousness. Of, of righteousness that it's the righteousness of God. And then he says, uh, of sin because they do not believe in me. What is the sin the Holy Spirit convicts of? It's unbelief. Yeah, you lie, you steal, you cheat, and he's gonna, the, your conscience is going to get you. But really what Jesus is saying here ultimately comes down to the sin of the world is unbelief. They have not believed in the Son of God. They're not going to hell for stealing, killing, lying, or adultery. They're going to hell because of unbelief. And it's by faith that we are saved. And so the, the Lord did not abandon it. It's to the world's advantage that Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came because he would convict the world of sin and give them a chance and give them the knowledge of righteousness. It says of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. 
It's the righteousness of Jesus. When they see and behold Jesus, that he was the righteous one, and his righteousness covers our sins. His righteousness replaces our sins in our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit shows people in the gospel. And then of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit reveals that this world is not going to continue on in wickedness, that the devil has a time stamp on him. He's limited, and his lease is coming up. He's judged. And the Holy Spirit shows that to the world. When they receive the news, the message, the word, and the Holy Spirit is working in them, they understand that it's not a good thing to follow the devil. It's not a good thing to go with the world because the world is coming to a judgment and it's already been judged. So there it is. The Holy Spirit brings basically in these three things the gospel. These are gospel truths. Unbelief. You have to have faith. Righteousness. Right standing. How can you be right standing with God? Not by your works, by trusting the one who's righteous. And then that evil is condemned. And that's the hope. We have such a hope because we know that there is an end to all the wickedness, madness, and evil that's out there. And it's not just for Israel that we have this hope. At Pentecost, they saw tongues of fire landing on the disciples' heads. And really what was going on here, this was the igniting. The fire was the igniting of the Great Commission, Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Wow, this was, so this is the igniting of the Great Commission. This was what staunch, started or launched the great missionary movement that took a ragtag group of disciples who denied Jesus and they went forth filled with fire and the Holy Spirit and turned the world upside down. That's their story and that's our story. It's our heritage. We're a part of that great launching. That day at Pentecost was the reason we're here. That day at Pentecost launched the missionary movement that showed God so loves the world and wants to reach the world. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us. And it all started at Pentecost. That's our heritage. And uh, we have the same spirit. Well, I can't do anything. Well, neither could these guys. And, and what a privilege and honor it is. You know, think about it. You're not just a fellowship here that's just this little group. This, we're part of the body of Christ that are tied to this whole heritage of these ragtag people and throughout Christian history, ragtag people who God has used. And we're all plugged in. And we're all on the same mission. We're all in the same kingdom advance. It's what God's doing in the world. And he couldn't do it if Jesus was just here in one place in the flesh. But he can affect the whole world and does through his body everywhere. And that's how he accomplishes things while we're here. Is that a lot? Well, John 16, 12 says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. But here's our advantage again. Most of you in here understand some of the things I'm saying. Most of you in here understand a lot of things when you read the, the Bible that the disciples didn't understand. How many times did Jesus say, are you still so dull? Do you not understand? And we might read that. We say, yeah, duh. You know, someone said the disciples were the duh disciples. <laughs> but we're all duh disciples, right? I, it takes me a lot of times to get it. But, you know, we can look at some of these things and thought, why couldn't they get it? Well, we have an advantage they didn't have. These, this was a lot to take in, but we now 
because the Holy Spirit's working in our lives and we have uh, access to that, we understand a lot of things that they didn't understand. We know so much more than some of the Old Testament saints knew everything. And there's still more. There's still revelation to be had. And that's why uh, it's good to go into uh, this next verse, verse 6, 13, John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. And this is a prayer of mine quite often. Like I just said, there's things you can't bear, but we can bear them now. We understand. But there's so much more. There are depths to the word. There are depths to the revelation of God. And there are depths to our understanding and perceiving what's going on in life and kingdom concepts and things like that. And there's so much out there to distract us. And there are so many deceptions, even in the church, even in the religious world, there's so many deceptions that I'm often praying, Lord, guide me into all truth. This is a prayer of mine, and it should be a prayer of yours when you're studying the word. Guide me into all truth. I'm not talking about give me the head knowledge of things, but help me to discern what is the proper interpretation. Help me to discern what is the proper approach to this scripture. And that doesn't guarantee that I'll get it right every time, but I know I've gotten it wrong at times, and then somewhere down the road I realize that. He is guiding us into truth. You might not get it immediately, but if you're consistent, like I said, and you're in the position for power, and you're praying, that's why I say when you read the Bible, don't just open up and say, i got to do my duty today, got to read. No, you, you get your heart prepared. You say, okay, Lord, I'm, this is a spiritual exercise now. Holy Spirit, would you guide me into all truth? Would you take this truth and light the tongues of fire on my heart, on my head, whatever, however you want to say? Would you ignite it in me that it would affect me? And so verse 14, John 16, 14, He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And this is uh, where I'm saying, I'm telling you, seek out his presence, seek out the power of the Holy Spirit, and some people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. I read a book called Charismatic Chaos back in the day. Well, someone gave me this book, said, here, you better read this, because I had told, told them, I'm going to a healing service. My girlfriend has a back problem. We want to see if she gets healed. And they, they looked at me and said, well, you better read this, brother. Charismatic Chaos. And I read it, and it's like, oh. And for a long time, and you know, there are things you've got to be careful of, but charisphobia is not an option. You have to walk between two sides of a ditch when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. You cannot box God and say that he cannot do, or that was just there and it's never going to happen again. On the other hand, you want to steer clear of the ditch and say, man, whatever I experience and whatever... Whatever crazy thing comes to my mind, oh, that's okay. You know, no, it has to have scriptural warrant. It has to be based on scripture, and it has to be in order. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. There's no need to be charismatic because what the actual work of the Holy Spirit is resulting in is glorifying Jesus. He takes of what is mine and declares it to you. You want more love for Jesus, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You want more power of Jesus, he's going to make Jesus stronger in your life. It's not about an experience. I'm not against experiences. I've had my own. 
But if the experience doesn't result in a greater love to Christ, a greater hatred of sin, and a greater desire to see God's kingdom come, if that, then it's not worth anything. But we don't box God in and say, oh, you know, he doesn't do what he used to do before, because he does. I have, I've seen him do it, and it's not just in China. But again, two sides of a ditch, you don't want to get in either of those sides of the ditch. But I must say, probably the greater majority of the church in our time is probably a leery of charismatic chaos because we've seen it abused so much, right? But you can't let that take away. You can't let counterfeit stuff detract from the real thing. But often what happens is it closes the door and we don't expect and we don't seek and we don't look for. And we need the power from on high. It's going to change everything in our lives. So the last verse here, or one, one extra, but uh, John 16, 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. What does he declare? He declares the word. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, that the spirit brings life. The flesh profits nothing. And the words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. If you want the Holy Spirit more operative in your life, you need the word of the Spirit. It's the word. The word is the wood that gives the Spirit fuel to ignite and, and produce the gasoline, the fuel for the Christian life. He declares the word. And so I'm talking about consistency, positioning yourself for power. It means being consistent in the word with the expectation that he's going to do a work. And, he's, and this is my nourishment. This is my fuel and this is the wood. Now, one thing you need to be careful about as well, though, is that when you are in that position and you're in the word and you're desiring that life, sometimes you can douse the fire, douse the wood because of your words. The Holy Spirit declares the word of Jesus. What are the words that we declare? Proverbs 18.25 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. What kind of talk are we talking? Are we talking uh, continual negativism? Are we talking unbelief? Sometimes we can say, be in a time of the word and get filled with faith, and then we talk unbelief. Or we complain, murmur, or we criticize. We say things that will put out the, the fire of the wood that we put in with the word. We want to make sure our words line up with God's word. And there's a lot we could say about that. But it's to our advantage to position our, our mouths. There's so much about speaking. I will speak the praises of the Lord. If we confess Jesus is Lord, if you hold fast the confession of your faith, there's so much that has to do with the mouth, and the mouth is tied somewhere to the heart. And when there's a disconnect there, it can douse the, the wood. So what are the words we speak? And what are the words we're taking in? Jesus said, my words I speak to you are spirit and life, and it's the Holy Spirit that will come and take of mine and declare it to you. So faith, obedience to the word, bringing that in, all of these things get you the advantage. Are you living in your advantage? And now what happens if you're not? What can you do? The final thing I want to mention, very important, Luke 11, 11 to 13, says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? 
Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus said it. You can ask for the Holy Spirit. Well, I already got the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You got born again. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote. But there is more to life in the Spirit than just your born-again conversion experience. And there's more than just the, the initial birthing that gives you the heart for him. There is the empowerment that you need. And that's where I believe he's saying we need to ask him. If we don't have that, what can we do? We can position ourselves, as I'm saying. We acknowledge his presence. We acknowledge his power. We position ourselves for his power, and we ask him. In uh, the book of Acts, several times the apostles laid hands to, on people to receive the Holy Spirit. God is not boxed in to one particular thing. But here, Jesus gives us permission to ask for the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time asking, I believe. I need fresh oil sometimes. I need to be filled again. In fact, when uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Drunk being an influence, being under the influence. He wants us to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it's a continual thing. That Greek there in, in Ephesians 5.18 is to be filled and keep on be filling. So it's never wrong in your quiet time or now as we close to ask, Lord, I need the power from on high. I need your Holy Spirit. And God's not just saying, well, you know, you got to earn it. No, it says how much more will he give to those who ask? He's greater than us. who we'll, We're not going to hold back from a, a good request from our children. And so we got to come to this, ask him, and be believing. And you know what? I hope when you go home, you get a lightning strike from heaven that gives you just revelation glory that may or may not happen. But you don't need that for faith to be working. You don't need that to be believing. You believe, and it, and it can come in any way. It can come gradually. You can be growing in that, or it can come in a magnificent experience. I hope you share it with us if you do. But whatever it is, get it. You have to get the Holy Spirit. It's what makes all the difference in the Christian life. And it's, it's the blessing and advantage that the Lord has given us what we celebrate at Pentecost. Amen or oh me? Are you still going to have me back next week? Okay. All right, well, praise God. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the promise of the Spirit. We thank you that Jesus came at Christmas, died at Passover, rose again at Easter, and that you sent forth the Spirit that was for the world, for all flesh, that your love for us, that you would dwell among us and even dwell in us is amazing, Lord. And we thank you for that. And I pray that your church, not just this church, but the church in general of Jesus Christ would be filled with the Spirit, walking in the power of God in these last days. For, Lord, the power against us is great, but greater is your power, Lord. We need it. We confess that we are weak, but you are strong and that you have the supply. Help us, Lord, not to be taken off track. Help us, Lord, to stay on target and to be filled and drawn by your love. And I ask it in Jesus' name for each person here and their families and that the power from on high would again be ignited in our day and time and in our place. 
wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.